Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 217. Is change up to you? You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. It's a very special day. It's the first day of the little school of big change, the first day of school. Um, I love this day. I love watching all the people come in, uh, introduce themselves on our forum, start asking all their burning questions. I even love the really, um, I want to say bad, although it doesn't feel that bad anymore. That's sort of the point. There used to be this feeling of um, kind of tension and rush that still shows up that used to feel really bad, though, when when uh, people would just start getting into this and they would have these amazing questions that I also had and that I've seen now in thousands and thousands of people. And they want the answer <laughs> and they want to know, like, how. And you kind of see it for them, but you know that they, well... I don't know anything really, but I suspect they aren't going to necessarily have all this clarity around their question on day one. And so it's this weird kind of anticipation, excitement for them, but also like the insecure part of it for me is also like, oh, just don't worry, just hang out, hang out, hang out. It's coming, it's coming, you know, so they're asking big questions about lifelong habits and yeah, but what about this? And 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 kind of like we're going to talk about in this episode, is any of this up to me anyway? And all of it, and it's like, you know, that so much, their questions are amazing. And so much is going to start to be revealed as we go through this six weeks together. Um, and part of me wants to just slam on the gas and like, just get to the end and, and get over some of those uh, humps and hurdles that we go through. But also, I just have done this enough now to kind of see, no, this is okay. It's part of the process. And so now that that first part doesn't feel quite so angsty, it just is kind of exciting. So anyway, if you have not been part of the Little School of Big Change, please consider joining us. It's it's pretty incredible experience. I mean, it's a six-week immersion into a radically different way of seeing things that that goes far deeper than what you're getting in these conversations on the podcast because we're conversing a lot and in a very complete kind of well thought out way. Um, so the school opens today, September 12th, 2022, and enrollment will close this coming Thursday. Uh, and I won't lead the class again until the spring of 2023. So join us. Okay. So in honor of that, consistent with it being the first day of school of the little school, big change, we're going to talk about whether change is even up to you. And I want to talk about this in a few different ways and a few different aspects of this question, which we might also ask the question, what do we really have control over? What, if anything, do we have a say in? Do we have control over? And if you don't like the word control, sometimes people will say like, oh, well, I know I don't have control over anything, but I think I can influence things. Okay, same thing. <laughs> really, it's the same thing. I know no one likes the word control anymore, but if you think, well, I can't control this, but I can sure influence it. Well, you, th okay, same thing. So 
what do you have influence over and how do you exert that influence and how come sometimes you can and sometimes you can't? And I love these questions. Um, and I think there's a few different angles that we can look at this. So it came up in our community, in our Little School Big Change grad community. I'm going to just read this little blurb of a question because this is really what inspired me to, to, do, this, um, to do this episode around it. This person says, but do we have control of anything is always the question. I feel the answer is no. But if I read a book and drop my drinking or I start eating better or I try intermittent fasting to see how it affects my health, am I really doing any of that? I know I see the things I see and I'll see more when the time is right, whatever that means. So she's basically kind of asking this question like, hey, I'm, I'm interacting in life as we all are, right? We're in these conversations. We're doing things. It occurs to us to try things, to read new things, to listen to this podcast, to come to the little school of big change. But at the same time, it doesn't quite feel right that we're in charge of our change or that we're making it happen or that our actions have some direct effect that we have any real say in. So what gives? Like, where's the, where's the middle of that little Venn diagram there? Like, wh- where's that sweet spot? What's, what's going on here? And truly, and it's, they're excellent questions. If, if nothing is ultimately up to us, what are we doing here? Like, why do we, why would we be listening to this? Why would you come to the school? Why, why do we sit down and have conversations with people when we're having a hard time with them? Why, why do we do any of the things that we do if we truly believe that we have no say in anything and we have no control or no influence over any of it? The way it looks to me is that I don't think we have control over anything. What the, the emphasis tends to go on, there's no control. <laughs> Everything, and that leads people to think, oh, so it's just a chaotic mess. It's a free-for-all. Like, or they think, oh, it's all predestined. It's all things are going to happen however they happen, and it's all predetermined. And I don't, personally, it's just a belief doesn't really matter, but I don't believe in any of that. I think life is unfolding and we are life. So the emphasis tends to be on the no control, which brings up all these ideas of like pandemonium for people or like, you know, just not nice ideas, not nice uh, images that come to mind. But I think the emphasis really is meant to be on the we don't have control. You don't have control. I don't have control. Because there is no you or we or I that is separate from, from the fabric of life. And, and, and this isn't, and this is what this whole conversation is about. So we'll talk about it in different ways. But it's not just a semantic thing. And it, it, I mean, it, it matters. If there is no separation from, from how life is unfolding, there is nothing that's outside of that unfolding of, of the oneness of life. Where, where's the control coming from? So all of this from the stance of a me that feels separate, which is a very, very real stance, a very, very real feeling from the stance of I'm me and there's life out there and I want to change things about it. 
That's a different story. That's where we're struggling for control and we're curious about our influence and we're seeing it. We're seeing, oh, I did this and then that thing happened. And our mind is concluding. Our mind that lives very much in that separation is concluding cause and effect, is concluding, yep, you made that happen. Do it again. Maybe it'll happen again. Oh, it didn't happen again? Huh? There must be some reason for that. And your mind will make up a reason for that. So, It's all from that stance of there's a me and I'm trying to influence this other thing that's life. From that is where we get have a lot of these questions. What I'm suggesting is that is 100% real and we don't have to throw that away at all. So I'm not not at all saying, oh, we're we're not going to look there. We're not going to acknowledge that. Yes, that is the way it feels. Ultimately, though, ultimately, all is one. So the concept of control just falls apart already. It doesn't even, or influence or cause and effect or all of those all require, you know, two, obviously. They all require something separate from something else to have an impact on it. So ultimately, if all is one, the emphasis in that really is that there is no you that's controlling anything, Life is unfolding, and in that constant moment-to-moment unfolding of life, there are there are experiences of a me being separate that did the right thing or did the wrong thing or wants to try this other thing or is thinking about reading that book or that read that book, heard something new, and now life looks or feels this way. Wonderful. But that's that's very, very much a part of every single one of our everyday experiences. But that doesn't actually mean... That's the truth of it. That doesn't mean that, you know, like it, that it's different. It's different. That's the experience of what's happening, but that's not necessarily pointing to the deepest truth of it. And that matters because if we think it is, like, of course, if we have this experience of having controlled life in some way or influenced it or whatever, of course, we're going to go through life kind of trying that some more, you know, and, and, and that's where I think things um, kind of break down a little bit. So in a really simple way, I, I tend to think of this as um, just kind of the same as learning, any kind of learning. Let's say you take a class and you read the material and you listen to the teacher and you, you know, you're, in that environment and things are coming in. Now, learning is most likely going to happen, some degree of learning. Now, everyone in that class is going to learn things. Let's say it's like a class about how to fix cars or something. I'm not talking about the little school big change. That's a little bit different kind of learning. But like, let's say you're learning how to fix a car. You're going to have 50 people in that class. They're all going to do the assignments and read and listen to the teacher and do similar things. You're going to have different learning. Some people are going to get it right away and it just makes perfect sense and all comes together. And and other people are not going to get it right away. Maybe they have a little tougher time with it. Um, learning happens at different rates. It happens at different depths. It, it's happening differently for everyone. But it's, and maybe for some people, they do all the things and it seems that no learning happens. But for the most part, you are in that environment. Information is taken in somehow and learning happens. 
You don't have to make the learning happen. You're doing the things or, you know, again, I'm not saying like you are making yourself read the book, but the book is being read. The teacher's being listened to. There is no separate you doing it, but listening is happening. Reading is happening. Thinking is happening and learning is happening. And we don't, pulled the strings on that. Now, again, our experiences, I signed up for this class. I paid for it. Sometimes our experiences, I committed and I set goals and I decided I'm going to stick it out this time. Fine. But that all just showed up too. You didn't, I don't know how you make yourself do those things. But, but anyway, my point is when it comes to like, well, why do I even listen to this podcast or, or podcast similar? Why would I even read anything or look in this direction if there's no control and I have no influence? Well, because of learning, because things are seen and heard and learned and insights happen. And that doesn't mean that there's a you making all of it happen. So in a sense, to me, it's like we get the best of both worlds. Learning happens all the time. And you're not on the hook for it. You're not responsible for making it happen. So for me, the learning kind of example just makes it seem really simple and really like, well, of course, that's why, that's why, um, you know, it looks like we took some course or read some book or whatever, and now things are different, has nothing to design even a question of control or influence or I made it happen. It's just learning. So I'm going to read a portion of a book called From Here to Here from, um, by Gary Crowley. Gary was our guest speaker in Little School Big Change community um, back in January. And we actually spoke about another one of his books more. But I love this book, From Here to Here. It's very short. Um, and it talks about this free will issue in a really, um, I don't know, just the way that I think is really clear and really sort of simple. So I'm going to read a little bit of this and we'll, we'll see if it lands at all. Okay. He says, here and throughout this book, the word neurology refers to how your entire nervous system functions due to its structure and programming. Conscious will refers to your ability to consciously choose of your own free will and volition how you are in regard to the world you encounter each day. From a scientific perspective, it's your neurology that senses, interprets, and consciously perceives the world and makes the choices of how you will be in the world. The brain itself will be our primary focus here because it serves both the primary and final physical filter of your experiencing. And because without the brain, there is no conscious awareness to be examined. As you'll see, understanding how our neurology functions will make clear the direction our journey must take. Most people would agree that you had no conscious choice in the DNA received from your parents at conception. Any reasonable scientist would also agree that this DNA provides the blueprint for your body's general physicality. Your eye color, skin pigmentation, potential height, predispositions for certain diseases, etc., are set in the DNA that is filed away in the nucleus of every cell in your body. That same reasonable scientist would also agree that your DNA, which you had no conscious choice in, contains all of the intellectual, psychological, and emotional predispositions that will be expressed throughout your inherited neurology. The range and tendencies of all these attributes are hardwired into your genetic code. Furthermore, you did not consciously choose the environment in which your neurology continuously developed as a child. 
The family and culture in which you were raised were very much inherited, just like your physicality. Thus, you had no conscious choice over the early environmental factors that molded and fine-tuned your rapidly developing neurology. So far, there's little to disagree about. We inherit certain individual tendencies and our environment molds them. Francis Crick, the Nobel Prize recipient who discovered that the DNA that makes up your unique genetic code says it well. Suffice it to say that genes appear to lay down the broad structure of the nervous system, but that experience is needed to, t- to tune up and refine the many details of its structure. This is often a continuing process throughout life. The environmental conditioning of your neurology occurs throughout life, but it's important to recognize that your conditioning began the moment your parents' DNA united, creating your unique genetic blueprint. Your mother's biochemistry immediately affected your neurological development. If she was joyful or depressed, angry or anxious, her chemistry played a part in how your neurology developed, which affects how you experience the world to this very day. For instance, suppose your mother was abnormally stressed during pregnancy. High levels of a certain stress hormone have been shown to permanently affect the embryo. Too much of that stress hormone can make two deep structures of the brain oversensitive and hyperactive. These two pre-conscious parts of the brain decide when fear is an appropriate response. When they are overly active, your entire neurology will habitually react more fearful to life than that of others. This type of neurology is constitutionally frightened. The pre-conscious structures of the brain are simply wired that way. There's no conscious choice involved at all. The opposite can also occur. These two brain structures can be under-aroused in development, resulting in a constitutionally bored neurology that seeks continual stimulation. Conscious choice plays no part in these constitutional settings. Most of us have a neurology that is neither constitutionally frightened nor constitutionally bored, but rather lies somewhere in the middle. Of course, we also had no conscious choice in that matter. To say that you are not conscious of most of the brain's neurological activity is a profound understatement. Even your memory storage is pre-conscious. You do not consciously pick which memories get stored and which get ignored. It is the limbic system in your brain that determines which memories are important enough to be stored. Thus, the only reality a neurology remembers is is a perception based on memories you had no conscious choice in retaining. But it gets even better. Your interpretation of the present is also based on the memories stored in that neurological database you had no conscious choice in filling. Basically, the DNA that holds ancestral memories and reaction patterns along with your personal memories are the prism through which the world is interpreted. Whether that prism results in a perception of the world that is rose-colored or some darker shade is not up to you, yet it is the prism through which you interpret your interpretation of reality is filtered. Most lay people and scientists would agree that neurological development as an embryo and a child involves no conscious choice, no conscious will. The question we must now face is the following. Is there any conscious will involved in the apparent choices made as an adult? And he goes on to say how in the rest of the book, it'll show that the hardwired genetic patterning and softwired environmental conditioning are not just the filters reality is perceived through. They're also the neurological dictators that order our reactions to any situation on a physical, mental, and emotional level. You have no conscious choice in how your neurology perceives a situation and no conscious choice in the reaction patterns it perceives as possible. The reaction to laugh or cry 
feel frightened or safe, be angry or elated are pre-conscious reactions in the brain based on memories that you have no conscious choice in prioritizing, arising from an inherited and conditioned neurology you had no conscious choice in building. What you consider a conscious choice is is determined by pre-conscious mechanisms in the brain. Thus, by definition, the choice is not conscious. That was a lot, I know, but it's um, it's a really good book if you want to check out more. But I, I love, <laughs> I just, I just think it's amazing to to see that and to think about how much we, in our moment to moment thinking, how much credit is taken for everything, and that means you know, credit for everything looks personal. It looks meaningful. We take credit for everything. That means we have to also take blame for everything. And and how much of our suffering, like probably all of it, comes from that. Not from what's being experienced, Not definitely not from what's arising, but from what's arising after what arises. <laughs> like the, the story that accompanies um, what arises. And that story that accompanies what arises is all about me. And I can't believe I feel this way. And I, it's back again. And why am I doing this? And what kind of person am I? And it's all up to me. And I failed. Uh, I have to make it happen. Why would I do such a thing? Me, 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 all the way down. And that's all of our suffering. And I mean, if you you know, just listening. I know there's it sounded a little scientific, but I hope I hope you could kind of just clean the essence of that of wow, aren't we hilarious? Aren't we hilarious? Our mind is so funny. Constantly it's like just playing out what's already determined and in there. And again, I don't mean like every I don't mean determined in a sense that our life is laid out and we're just watching you know, we're we're waiting to see what happens and it's already been predetermined. I mean, determined in the sense that these reactions and thoughts and interpretations, just like he says, they're all coming from things that we can't see. They're coming from all the way back to, you know, far, far ancestors. There, there, that stuff has been in play. It's, it's biased by memories. We know this too. I mean, we know this from all kinds of things that, your mood biases your interpretations, your memories, your past experiences when they arise, interpret bias or color interpretations. Like, yet, how easy is it to miss that? And and the mind concludes, no, you did this. This is meaningful. This is different. This this is this means something about you, or it means something about them. I'm seeing them. No, you're never seeing them. We're never, ever, ever seeing them because them is can only be seen through a filter of all of this predetermined neurology, all of this stuff that's already been put in place and old memories that we had no choice in. I just find so much freedom in that, so much freedom in that because all of this stuff that shows up is just not as it appears. It reminds me very much of um, the the stat, and I and I think it's incorrect, by the way, in just a thought. And I did a podcast episode about it, about that fifty to eleven million. Uh, I think it might have been eleven billion. I don't even know, but I think it's inaccurate. But the 
but the gist is the same. It's a very small number ratio against a very large number. And the ratio is pointing to um, the, the bigger number is all the bits of sensory information that we're taking in constantly. And the smaller number is the amount of sensory information that we're aware of. So it's like 11 billion, I think it is, bits of sensory information, sounds, pictures, memories, like smells, all of it, all of that stuff that's taken in, that's coming, being filtered and spit through that neurology that's all predetermined from so long ago or has been in place, I should say, from so long ago. And then out of all of that, all of that, 50 bits of information is spit out. And that's like our conscious thinking. That's like our conscious thought, our conclusion. So we're taking in 11 billion bits of information about our partner in a moment and 50 bits of a conclusion about that partner come out and we think we know them (laughs) and we think we're right. And, you know, and it's just crazy. There's a whole episode on that if you're interested. Um, But how... Of course, the same, the same, the filter spits out the same 50 bits pretty much with a, you know, a few bits kind of subbed in probably each time. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, except when we think that we're, what we see and what we think and what we feel is reality. When we think it's the truth, that's all of our suffering. And it, how could it possibly be the truth when it's 50 out of 11 billion bits of information? That's exactly what I hear in this passage from from this book. It's like we we have these interpretations and these thoughts and we take these actions. And just because our mind says, oh, look what you did, we believe that. We think, oh, look what I did. Look what I chose. I chose this one over that one. No, you didn't. Your brain did. A brain did. And it spit it out. And fine, wonderful. It's just making our experience automated and easy and effortless. We don't have to do anything about it. But when our mind sees what our brain spits out and then proceeds to tell a meaningful story about it, then we're in trouble. When our mind sees, oh, yeah, you, uh, you, know, you know better. You know that you didn't want to eat all that stuff, yet you ate it anyway. Wow, you really are a far gone loser. That's where it hurts. When our mind puts everything on us and said, you knew better and you made this poor choice, you had the ability to make another choice or when someone else does. When we look at other people out in the world and we say, oh, wow, what's wrong with them that, that they you know, can't get a job or they're, they're playing out these same patterns in their relationship or they've been stuck in this addiction for so long without doing it on purpose, again, conclusions are drawn, that they're weak, that they're lazy, that they're broken, that there's something wrong with them, that they must love suffering, that what's wrong with them? I would never do that. Well, you would never do that perhaps, although you probably would, but it's not right to look at someone else's life and say, I can't believe they did that. I would never do such a thing. Yeah, because you have different neurology than they have. You have different thoughts showing up. So of course, of course, that's the case, if that's the case. So there's a lot of upside in this, a huge upside in seeing that so much of this, you know, that, that it's not our choice. It's not all on us. There's an upside a potential to have so much more compassion for ourselves 
and so much less judgment and so much more compassion and less judgment for other people. So to go back a little bit to what I think is really the, well, I don't know, one of the sticky points anyway in all of this is when when people begin to consider this and hear, okay, then I'm not making these choices. They're, you know, I'm not in charge of even the options that show up in my mind and the interpretations that show up and all of that. And they say, so what's the point? Then, then what's the point? If I have no say, no influence, it's all just arising through me. What's the point? What's the point of even looking in a direction and being curious about things and wanting to see more and and playing in life and, you know, doing things in hopes of uh, having outcomes that are enjoyable and all of that. What's the point if I'm not in control of it, if I have no say in any of that? Such a good question. And I don't know if this is going to uh, be clear, but... I think the point, again, is learning happens and our our desire, like our picking up a book or taking a new class or sitting down and trying to make this relationship better with the other person or whatever that might be, that is arising not, not because there's a you separate from life that chose it and made it happen and so you're going to get all the credit when it works well, but that's arising. That is life itself. Like that's arising through you in a sense, not really, as you, <laughs> as a choice, as a desire, as a preference, as a, as a urge to do something, as a hunch that you have. That's amazing. That's a, that's a miracle. Why would we like think that's bad and want to just shoo that aside if we didn't make it happen. You know, so your desire to join us in the little school of big change and look in this direction, that has nothing to do with choice. It has nothing to do with you. You're not going to get the credit. And if you do it and you hate it, you're not going to get the blame. But if there's a true desire there, that is life moving you towards something. And, and I think it's the same for everything. So again, back to that, like how it's just simple learning. If something has you curious about a podcast or a class or a conversation or whatever, why not follow it? Just because you didn't make it happen, that is life expressing through you. And it's life expressing, period. And and in that, things are seen and things are learned and insights happen. And yeah, you don't need to be in the center of all of that for it to be worth anything. Like you don't need to be in charge of that. You don't have to control anything. You have no influence. You have no say. You have no ultimate say. But why not ride the wave of what's arising and what's exciting and what kind of wants to happen? Why, why wouldn't we? And, and why is that? If, if this is how it feels to you, like, why is that kind of second best? Why is that not good enough? What's better about you choosing it? Why do we even want control and influence and choice? Truly. I mean, it's a great question. It's something that if if it feels like, oh, I don't want to just go along for the ride of life and, you know, 
let things arise and watch me, watch myself follow those hunches and let learning automatically happen. If all of this feels hands off in a way that doesn't feel good and you say, no, I want to get in there and I want to steer it the direction I want it to go in. Again, so common. <laughs> That's not, you're not abnormal at all. But I'd be really curious about that. Why? Why? Why does it look better if you're making it happen than if life is making it happen? And ultimately, there's a lot to see in that about who do I think I am separate from life? And again, I don't mean that in an ego way, like who do you think you are? But but maybe that's the root of like every, all of our suffering really is, is that that whole thing is rooted in I'm separate from life. There's a me over here that wants to make be the one who's responsible for making life go the way I want it to go. That's a great invitation. There's a lot to explore in that. And I promise you that exploring that is is very likely to to be really helpful to open up some things that make life feel a lot richer and a lot easier and maybe make a lot of our struggles, even some of our little everyday minor struggles, help them kind of look different and make more sense. So I think in a in a way, it's like we have the best of everything. We have preferences. Preferences arise. Desires to look into things, desires to stop looking in certain directions, like all of that arises. And we aren't making it happen, yet it's awesome that there's just this natural inclination to follow some of that stuff. And those things do contribute. Those things do lead to change. Now, what leads to what, again, it gets a little messy there because our mind likes to chop things up and draw draw conclusions about what led to what and what caused what. And I don't think those are accurate in the least. But our oneness with life and our, our interaction with life, I mean, none of this is accurate, but our, our, uh, our being in life and doing things and our activity and all of this that happens, these things do contribute. Reading books and talking with people and, and all of that, in that we are playing in life and learning is happening and change is happening. So change happens all the time. And there's and not at all saying it's like just going to be whatever it's going to be. No, it, it sure looks like it's happening because of the things we interact with and take in. And that's awesome. And we can just let our own natural desires and preferences and curiosities lead us through that. So things, So it's not to say that things we do don't contribute to change. What we're really kind of saying is things do contribute. They do contribute to learning and insight. And we have. there's no separate you that is controlling all of that. And that's, again, I don't know. I can't, I can't see it any other way right now than just really, really, really good news. Really good news. If you aren't controlling at all, you aren't on that pride, shame roller coaster that I talked about in the last episode. You don't get all the credit, but you also don't get all the blame. And you don't have the guilt and the shoulds. None of these concepts make any sense at all when there is no separate you you that's separate from life making you know in control and in charge of everything. Another I'll say that the other way because it probably makes more sense. Shoulds and guilt and regret and blame and worry and probably a bunch of other things I'm not thinking of 
judgment, all of this, those only make sense in a world where you have free will. When there is no you that's separate from the whole of life that's making everything happen, all of those things I just mentioned, I can't remember them all, but guilt, blame, worry, shame, I should have, regret, judgment, all of that, they just don't make any sense at all. They just don't show up. They just, they just cease to be a main part of your experience. That alone, that alone is, is worth looking in this direction for. So when we, again, look out the world and think about, see, oh, this person has been caught up in their addiction. Why aren't they getting help? Why aren't they doing, doing anything about it? Our health is up to us. Our, our mental health is up to us. Our happiness is up to us. Our financial status is up to us. Like all of this stuff we've been told and that our mind is put, you know, globbed onto very quickly and easily. It's all up to you. Change is up to you. It all comes with that downside. And that downside is full of judgment and shame and blame. Think about how much compassion we can come to have for ourselves and others if we are not in control of everything. Seeing, taking fault out of it, seeing that it's not your fault, it's not their fault, where we are in life, what we're feeling and seeing and experiencing and all of that is nobody's fault. It just takes so much such a huge layer of heaviness out of things and frees us up to to live more in that place of just curiosity and naturally following what we're interested in and what uh, what we think might be helpful without any threat of, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? And what if I fail again? And all of that stuff. When all of that is out of it, the learning that's naturally happening all the time that we've been talking about that has nothing to do with you, just this natural learning and kind of updating and seeing more, that gets to run so much more easily and freely and efficiently. Do you see that? It's kind of like a machine. It's like a program that's constantly updating and adding new stuff and seeing more. I think that's how how it is in life, how we feel in life. Yet that machine gets kind of clogged up with all kinds of junk and blame and resistance and fear when when I'm in the middle of it. When I have any role in this, it's going to invite in all kinds of stuff that sort of slows that learning down in a sense. So I guess the the moral of the story for me is just go do what you do and you're going to anyway. It doesn't matter what I say, what anyone says. We're going to do what makes sense. We're going to do what we see. But But if we can we can have this sense that that's always been happening anyway, then it just gets to like, maybe there's just going to be a little more joy along with it, a little more curiosity, a little more awe at the miracle of all of this and a lot less blame and shame and me and control and all of that. Uh, And again, I think this is how life's always, always been working all along anyway. But it's cool to see it. It's cool to just be really curious about like, wow, what does happen uh, all by itself without this, that doesn't need this idea of me and changes up to me and I need to make it happen in there. Um, it's, it's a really curious thing to, to look in the direction of and to play with a little bit. The Fall 2020 Guided Little School of Big Change course begins today, September 12th. 
This is your last chance to enroll in this life-changing course. Enrollment closes at midnight Eastern time on Thursday, September 15th. Students are already immersing in the curriculum. They're getting support on our private forum, meeting each other. It would be my honor to support you there for the next six weeks. The next guided course with me won't be until spring of 2023. So go to the littleschoolabigchange.com to enroll before it's too late. And I can't wait to see you in class.